when I'm talking about it, it is basically media that reaches these underrepresented or underserved communities. I'm sorry for for jumping on my soapbox, but <laughs> it's just it's like MFAs is another thing that's been put in as a barrier that has a disproportionate effect on African American, Black, Hispanic, LGBT, Indian, Pakistani, Muslim, Jewish publishers globally. You know. Hello and welcome to the AdPod. Today we're joined by Christopher Kenner, who is the founder and North American CEO of Brand Advance Group. And we're going to be talking about diverse media. Diverse media has really risen into consciousness in recent years, as buyers have looked to invest their money into reaching minority-owned media, largely because they think it's the right thing to be doing. In today's episode, we explore how that has been going, whether things such as inclusion lists and keyword lists prevent them from spending in minority media, and also what the opportunity is for buyers that do get it right. Chris is a leader in this field, has featured in tons of high-profile publications and TV shows, so really is the best person that I know to have to speak about this topic. And because of that, I know that you'll enjoy it too. So all that leaves me to say is that I hope you enjoy this episode of The App Pod. Hey, Chris, welcome to the AdPod. How's it going? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks for having me on. No, great to have you on. Great to have you on. Um, before we get into it, for those who might not know you, do you mind giving us like a quick intro to your career and what you do now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm Chris Kenner or Christopher. Um, I'm I'm going to say I'm Mancunian, but I'm not actually Mancunian. I was born on the Isle of Man which is definitely not in Manchester. It's a little rock that nobody even really knows what it is. But um, yeah, born in the Isle of Man, grew up around the Northwestern and Manchester, definitely got a Manchester accent. Uh, After a brief period in the army and doing a bit of presenting for like MTV and stuff like that, I now um, have the day job of... Um, being the founder and the North American CEO for Brand Advance Group. It's called BA Diversity Media in the US, Brand Advance Group across Europe. But essentially, we're a, a company a company of three parts. We have uh, a piece of tech that helps with insights and strategy on how to reach underrepresented consumers globally, what they're reading, writing, doing. We've got lots of different uh, elements of that tech. Then we've got uh, the media element of the group, and that is we have our own SSP for uh, for three tiers of media. Tier one being minority, 51% owned by someone from an underrepresented or minority group. Tier two being media that reaches these communities but isn't necessarily owned by them. And tier three being creators that are from, so it could be a black creator, but they're not making anything for a black magazine and they're not necessarily making it for black people to read. It's just, they are a black creator. So we have them three different tiers. Um, and then we, we've got, uh, in media, we do CTV, we do programmatic out of home, all triggered by what um, what different communities and underrepresented 
groups do. And then we've got our own creative shop as well. So we've got a separate creative agency um, that has a strap line of nothing about us without us, which is 70 to 80% of the people that make any piece of creative telling a story from any community will come from that story, from that whole story, from that community. So not just in front of the camera, but the cameraman will come from there, cameraman, woman, non-binary person, the uh, all the crew. We even try to make our locations, you know, buy a uh, rent a studio that is owned by someone from that community. Try and get as much economically into that community when you're going to use them to sell stuff so yeah that's that's brand advanced group awesome and i've been following the journey for a while and it's great to see the success and i know you're moving over to the us as well it's been um ahead of a journey also so i love to see it and obviously we're we're here today to talk about diverse media um and that has become you know, much well more sort of intentioned and more in more focus in sort of recent years and so yeah. before we get into that, it'd be good to know, like, how do you define diverse media? Like, what is it? So for us, it's basically them three tiers that I said, you know. So um, it's either media that's 51% owned by what we call across Europe a protected characteristic. So that's um, someone from an underrepresented race. Uh, religion, sexual orientation, different ability, gender, uh, uh, veteran. Um, I mean, technically, diverse media is all the media speaking to people that are not like yourself, you know? So diverse media for me is actually mainstream white media to a straight white man or woman, because that's the total opposite to mine. Yeah black gay behind do you know what I mean so that is the most diverse media for me but you know so I think to to, to keep it simple of what when when I'm talking about it it is basically media that reaches these underrepresented or underserved communities um so now I'm based in the U.S. you know it's Hispanic American African American Chinese Indian there's uh LGBTQ plus it's uh, Jewish and Muslim and Hindu and you know many 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 others especially because I live in Brooklyn and you know I get to enjoy the cultures of many of these communities every time I leave the house so yeah got you and the opportunities I guess for brands and agencies so I sort of just loosely mentioned how there has been more focus there's been more investment in it what are the opportunities for brands and agencies who do that well? Like, what does that actually create for them? Basically, sell more stuff. Mm. You know, I think for too long, since you know the murders of George Floyd and many, many others uh, came to light, you know, and then the Black uh, Black Lives Matter movement sort of it reengaged people to to think about this. I think. We've focused too much on the nice to have, the nice to do, you know, rather than the actual, the commercial reasonings of why telling the story of an African-American and sticking that story in African-American media will sell more stuff to African-Americans, you know, who are 
I think around 57 million in the UK, which is uh, in the US, which is about the same size as the UK, give yeah. or take 10 million. Do you know what I mean? And then you've got Hispanic uh, Americans where there's even more. I think that one's a bit close to 62 or something like that. And then there's 27 million Chinese Americans in the US. So um, that's a lot. That's twice yeah. our country. That's a lot of people to sell stuff to. And it's not so much dissimilar over here, you know, in, in percentage to size of country. Um, we've got a lot of Indian and Pakistani and definitely a lot of LGBTQ plus and 12.7 million people in the UK with a registered disability, you know. So engaging these people both with creative that represents truly represents them and it's made by them for them and then stick it in media that uh, that they are actually engaging with um yeah helps you sell more stuff and that's what our job is with our clients isn't it help them sell more stuff we we fluff it up and wrap it up in different things but you know programmatic on your side programmatic and creative on my side we wrap it up in all these different things but actually we've been given one task and one task only i will give you some money you're going to earn me three times five times that back yeah you know yeah yeah and i remember we spoke about this before around sometimes you see people speak at events or post on linkedin or big cmos through to you know mid-sized agencies whatever and it feels a little bit box ticking, like, oh, we've got a diverse media initiative uh, and yeah. we're investing into those um, sort of uh, uh, media owners, backgrounds, et cetera. And I always thought, well, it does it need to work at the same time? You know, does it need to return? Like, what's yours? I mean, what's your perspective on that? Like, the well, it's good to get the money into these owners anyway, but does it have to work? Or how, how do you balance the two, if that makes sense? Um, so if I understand your question correctly, it's sort of how do you balance the getting money back to the media or like the diverse media owners? Oh, tell me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't on a podcast, is it? Tell, tell me the question again. <laughs> I want to make sure I answer it properly. It's that sort of balance between profit and purpose for brands. So like, you know, purpose, oh, okay. purposely yeah, investing yeah. into diverse media owners versus maximizing their profits as well at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, one is not mutually exclusive of the other. You yeah. know, let's put it this way. Everybody, every brand on God's great uh, earth at the moment is investing their money into trying to reach a group of people through a select one third of the media that is actually available globally. Yeah, because they're all going to the Medocs and uh, the ITVs and the NBCs and that everybody is sticking their ads there. Now, um, that's great. And they're obviously getting a yield on that and there's a return on that and they are reaching consumers. But the other two thirds of the world's media, I mean, the the most read magazine, uh, the most read newspaper in the world is not a Western one. It's called Times of India. You know, that is the biggest publication on earth right now. So, but that's seen as diverse media. Like we uh, stick our ads in that globally, you know? They, so everybody, all of this money is pumping in to one third of what's available to try to reach one third of the world. 
potential consumers. So what we're saying is that it's not a nice that Yeah, it was great that you stuck a black box on your social media and said, I stand shoulder to shoulder with my black colleagues and my gay colleagues and whoever else. But actually, don't you want to just start putting some investment into the other two thirds of society and of the, the media landscape? One, yeah, you know, you're, there's less competition. Two, um, they're actual consumers, and some of the most affluent groups are actually in that. You think about when you are, you know, I live in New York. Whenever I go to Saks on Fifth Ave or um, go to any of the other, you know, especially if you're a luxury brand, who do you see in there? You see Muslim people, you see Chinese people, you see black people, you know, uh, as much as you would see anybody like a white American. Maybe it's two to one on white Americans when you actually walk in there. So these consume, these groups that we call underserved, underrepresented, they're actually the affluence, you know. They before, you, obviously you've got um, uh, people that have, um, you know, with money into a country to live there, to to be educated there. Um, you've got people that haven't, and they you know, might be, uh, I can't think of the word, when you come to, an, not an asylum seeker, what's? Immigrant. An immigrant, yeah, yeah. You know, I come from an immigrant family, like myself, that at some point was an immigrant. Uh, I'm, I wasn't, but um, down my timeline, they certainly were. Um, you know, but... I think we've got this, the media is stuck in this mindset of the, what, what an ABC one is. Do you know mm. what I mean? And, mm. uh, uh, and then because of the way that these categorizations of consumer groups have been made, it only speaks about one particular part of society. So they don't know how to get it in the media plan for the rest because don't even have an acronym for it and if you don't yeah. have an acronym for it in our industry then it doesn't exist do you know, what I mean? you know yeah for sure i mean even that the abcde like categorization is so uh finite you know it's like yeah. what well, it's a handful of categories representing the entirety of a population that in itself just doesn't seem like a good way to do marketing right like you just you're going to be missing speaking to a specific subset in the right way because You've led with a backward planning exercise from 1980, you know, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to yeah, something yeah, more yeah. modern. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, and a lot of, a lot, I have spoke about it a lot that our industry, our, our industry is the very definition of insanity. And I've said this so many times, but I'm going to say it again because definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. Our industry every year goes to Cannes, goes to Adweek New York and Adweek Europe and goes to New Mexico and says, we are going to change. We're going to do all this innovation. We're going to speak to new consumers. We're going to really engage. And then they go back to using the same old methods of doing media, the same old platforms, the same old algorithms, the same old technology and keyword block lists and classifications of what an MFA is and blah, 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 mm. blah. And then wonder why the outcome was no different from the year before. Why mm. no brand at the moment is able to crack that 10% growth a year barrier when there was days when they were doing 20 30 percent growth a year because the people are there the world is only getting bigger there's only more people uh you know and actually you know the the middle class 
and wealth and middle class within each of African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans is growing at an ex- exponential rate, you know, mm. but brands are just not tapping into it. They're just not getting, getting there. That's where your 20% growth next year will come from. Mm. Tapping into them communities where you've got only one third of your competitors are giving it a go. Most of them are just giving it lip service. Go in there with the same strategy, the, uh, 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 the same, not strategy, but the same intent, sorry, and the same spend intent as you're doing over there, you know, um, and then you shall reap the rewards. And we we show this time and time again to our clients, you know, that we show them the brand uplifts and the intent, but, you know, we do a brand uplift study on every campaign we've been showing them. And they've been coming back to us now that they've been working with us for a while, saying, actually, well, you know, we're flogging more stuff or we're not flogging more stuff, but we've been able to put the price up. So we're actually seeing a benefit in that way. You know, uh, we found new customers that weren't so used to what the price used to be that they walked away. They're actually new. And when we give them a new price, it's day one for them. Yeah, that's uh, fascinating. Like, uh, why do you think they are doing it the same as it did last year, year before, is it inertia, lack of knowledge, no optionality to do it? Like, why is this insanity continue to exist? Yeah, no, um, I don't know what inertia means, so can't tell you if it's that. You're gonna have to explain that after my answer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, honestly, I'll be totally honest. I think some of it is um, fear, you know. Mm. nobody got sacked for not making a gamble. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Oh, that's yeah. the mentality. So I think there's that, there's safe. Some of it's laziness. You know, you there's a bit, you have to step outside of the day-to-day easy part of doing your job, which is letting the tools decide what the strategy is going to be, letting the, or the trade deals already done decide what media you're going to buy. Do you know what I mean? Like that's easy yeah. done. That's other people have done that work for people. So, um, and, and then some is just lack of uh, lack of, and I don't mean education as in uh, we've got an industry full of dumbasses. We have a, we've got the most intelligent people on God's earth in our industry, but I think a lack of knowledge and therefore um, uh, courage around these communities and how how to how to uh, make a media plan and how to run media and what to do um should something should you get pushed back or uh, etc and how to set up a pg deal or a pmp deal that will actually spend you know and how to set your garm settings uh, basically by turning off bloody and uh, Garm, Rob Rakovich, if you are listening, my friend, he is actually <laughs> a friend, but that, you know, how to have settings where there is, and Garm is a prime example of it, where it's brand safety right up until one thing that says social issues. Mm. When was social issue or brand safety? Social mm. issue is anything. Do you know what I mean? Same sex uh, marriages legalized in Sweden. That's a social issue. That's not brand unsafe. Everyone's yeah. changing the colors of their logos every month. You know, so there's yeah. a there's a bit of work to navigate that. You've got all these things that are actual brand safety, and then it chucks in a screw like that. Um, and then it's you know, and Garb's a brilliant pl- uh, platform done from really good reasons. But you need to 
you've got to do a bit more. You can't just switch it on. You have to work it. You need to look at, you know, uh, hate speech. How does it figure out what hate speech is? Mm. Does it think that Black Lives Matter is hate speech? Does it think that LGBTQ plus points, pride marches are hate speech? Does it get it wrong? Do you need to set your level and still moderate instead of high? You know, um, can you, you can't block news and politics if you want to spend in uh, these communities. It's not possible. You know as well as I do, most brands like to block that, block all yeah. news and block all politics. Well, you can't if you're going to go yeah. into diverse media because it's it's um, sort of, oh, what would you call it? It, it? It's progressive media, which means it's talking about progressive subjects. Now, they're not brand unsafe, but like I said, same-sex marriage, Black Lives Matter, you know, that is news and politics, even yeah. though it's not some politician talking about it, it will still classify itself by IAS as politics and uh, most of the media, because this media is being written by communities that's somewhere, you know, along the line uh, and in some places still are discriminated against, misunderstood, you know. So uh, the stories they talk about are the stories, the trials, the tribulations, the uh, the successes um, and the interests of their community. But a lot of it's going to be news and considered politics and yeah. then the whole mfa thing don't even get me started on that yeah i i, I probably will I've, i saw some quotes from you recently which i don't want to pick on but I, just whilst we're talking about sort of brand safety technologies in particular yeah. you know it has been said that it sort of does discriminate against diverse media because of keyword blocking essentially you know they're writing about um what some might t- determine a controversial inverted commas but we know it's not like topics and yeah. brands brands and agencies don't want to be near it because they're worried about like you know brand reputational risks and what that means is publishers get less money because there's yeah. more there's less ads actually serving into those ad spots um a is that true like do you think yeah. keyword technology does uh discriminate against diverse media yeah. and then b if b if it does like how does that get solved like what's the solution so it it doesn't discriminate well, it goes back to what we were just talking about. You know, we've got some of the cleverest people in, um, you know, some of the brightest minds in our industry, yet we're still using the archaic version of our... We don't need keyword block lists anymore. We've got contextual uh, brand safety. Never again do we need to block a positive or neutral story about anything. You know, we don't need to block a whole article because of one word. And yeah, of course it discriminates against. If, and we're starting now, most brands are past putting words that describe me in their keyword block list, but they're still sticking words like shoot and shooter. Now, shoot and shooter, yeah, I understand. Well, in America, they have a different problem to us and it can involve shooters and shoot. But they also have one of the biggest games in the world that every time you touch the ball, you're a shooter or you shoot. Basketball, um, which reaches a certain African American community quite high, especially with young male African Americans that are also quite uh, easily influenced to buy stuff. So, why the hell are you blocking every article that they're reading, stopping your ad from going there? Because you've archaically put a word that means four different things. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, 
So, yeah, because, you know, you'll know here in the UK, we used to have these tubes where you take a shot and that was called a shooter as well. Do you know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah, it was like in a test tube, wasn't it? But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's just, again, like I said, the definition of insanity, because we already have the technology, IAS and DV and everybody else in between has been trying to sell this to everybody mm. for years now. But just... You know, it's an extra 50 cents on the CPM and we don't want to lose that because that's going to affect our bottom line, you know. And so and then they don't reach me or my son or, you know, in time to come, your kids or, you know, they're just because you don't need to be black to be reading a a basketball publication. It could be anybody at any time, but it's being blacked. But it's been blacked. It's been blocked. Um, but also, you know, a lot of these publications that are being blocked are owned by that community. And it just has this spiral of you're not really given the investment. Uh, and then when somebody does come along and um, sort of says, OK, I, I, I hear what you say. You know, somebody gets here's this podcast, goes away and says, you know, what? why are we using keyword block? Let's switch over to that. Tomorrow they're switched on IAS. They switch on to contextual. Now spend is going to these publications. Then they say, okay, of my budget, I want to spend 5% of my budget in African-American publications. And then complain when there's not some scale there because mm. you've only just switched it on. The rest of the mm. world has had years to give you scale to do audience arbitration and all of that. They thrilled their brand because, you know, the Murdochs weren't born rich. I watched Succession. Well, actually, in Succession, they were born rich. But uh, <laughs> the real ones, I don't think, were, you know. Um, like, we've given the money to all, to very few media owners, and they've made themselves massive, so they can now give you scale. Mm. We, need to, we need to do the same for all these diverse owned ones. Totally, totally. And um, it brings me on quite nicely to my next sort of train of thought is we'll go to mfas so for the listener okay. an mfa is made for advertising site essentially this the content on the site is um either created through ai or it's not like a real journalism or it's just re- regurgitated from somewhere else and you sell enough ad, you buy the traffic you sell enough ads you arbitrage the difference and there's thousands of these sites and lots of advertisers are, are serving against them and then one of the and the ANA study said that about fourteen percent of the spend from a, a study went to these types of sites. So that's fourteen percent of the spend not going to good publishers. Yeah. And one of the ways that one of the solutions for that is well, why don't we rather than logging into our DSPs and buying thousands and thousands of sites, why don't we have like a targeted list of like one thousand sites? So we try to exclude these MFAs. But the challenge you have with that approach is, well, you're going to, be, you're just going to focus on the big ones. As you say, you've spent the last 15, 20 years acquiring scale, not on the ones which maybe have a smaller audience, but they're probably even more valuable. Yeah. Um, so how do you think about like MFA and the impact it's having on diverse media owners? Okay. Well, you opened Pandora's box. Number one, go. why the hell is it called an MFA? Every site on the internet is an MFA. Mm-hmm. Like every publisher is made for advertising. It's the thing that keeps them being a publisher. 
Do you know what I mean? So yep. we need to change that word because I think it's it, it sort of it, it, it misaligns your mind when you're thinking about it because you sort of you know um, I'm sure you have as well. There are some well-established publishers where their articles are like Blackpool Illuminations. Uh, for the US people, it's like Vegas mm. digitally. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they are bad. And I'm pretty sure if we could uh, psychically speak to each other, you probably even know some of the same ones, you know? the um, So I think that that's the first one. Secondly, audience arbitration is what has built all of these publications. They didn't just make a publication and then everyone read it. That is not how the world works. You know, some of them have been around a long time. So they've stuck, they started with uh, newspapers and then billboards and then blah, blah, blah. Some that are more recent, last 10 years, started digitally, you know, like Vice and Lads Bible and stuff. But how do you think they told people that they existed? They used social media or audience arbitration to stick their articles in front of people. And then over time, you like that content and then you start looking for it yourself and you go and go straight to their website to get your article, download their app. But it was audience arbitration. And now it's sort of like now all of a sudden, all these diverse media audience that are using a bit of audience arbitration to grow their reach so people, more people know about them and can read them and start reading them on a, on a regular basis. They're being told, yeah, yeah, we've got money for you. We've all pledged 2% of our spend for you. But don't you dare grow the way we grew. You're not allowed to do that because that's an MFA. Don't you start buying an audience and tell, isn't that just advertising? Are we doing that for every brand on the other side of the road? Mm. We're literally buying an audience for that brand. That's like saying to the brand, no, no, you can sell your goods, but don't buy the eyeballs to see your goods. Just go and sell yeah. them. You know, like publishers, black owned, LGBT owned. Yes, they are buying some audience. Of course they are. Like, that's how they tell everyone. I just wrote an article about Beyonce. Go and read it if you like Beyonce. Here's my article. You know, how else? There's no The internet yeah. has a trillion sites. No one's ever going to find you unless, and you can talk about SEO, but everyone keeps saying they can get you on the first page of SEO. Well, not everyone can be on there. Like, what the yeah. hell? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they can't. Yeah. It's impossible. So how is anyone going to see your article? So I just, it's just unfair. You know, like I did, you were saying about uh, a few quotes I've done. I've been going off about it a lot on stages and stuff like that. And there's uh, a guy called Justin from Snackable Media that's been, um, you know, doing, speaking just the same. Um, because it's... <laughs> Again, you know, it's like, he. let me paint a picture, all right? So I come to the US as a uh, black media owner. You know, I'm not African-American. I wasn't born in the US, but I'm black and I'm living in the US. Uh, and I have a business that has seven magazines uh, that we own. And then um, obviously an SSP that's got 2,000 2, magazines. But... Um, Seven magazines. Now, for me to be able to put my seven magazines in front of brands in the US, I have to get a stamp that says I am a black media owner. Okay, so that stamp costs me anywhere between ten dollars and $25,000 just for a stamp that I can stick on the bottom of my site and say I am 
certified black owned. I need another one because I happen to be a black gay guy. So now I've got to get two stamps, all right? It's not quite as expensive for the second one. It's about $500. But altogether so far, just to get two stamps to tell me one thing that I've always known and lived, being a black man, I know that from the day I was born, you know, uh, virtually when I was in the care system, and one of the reasons I was in the care system was because I was a black kid born to a white family and the family didn't know what to do. So I've always known I'm black. I certainly don't need to pay someone 25 grand to stamp me, to tell me. Um, then, so now I've got my stamps. So now I have access to the budgets that brands have allocated to me for people that are registered a black founder or a black business. That's great. But I've only got access to that 2% or 5%. 10% with some of the big ones. So now I've just paid a tax. The tax was the cost to only get access to 5% of their budget. Everyone else, just by the very definition of not being born black and having to register their company black, gets access to 95%. So I've got to pay more to get access to less. And then not only that, now my magazines, if I try and buy an audience in the US, so the US will know who this black guy from Manchester who's got a magazine that thinks it's got some cool writers making content. If I try and buy an audience in the US so I can show, if I basically try and advertise my magazine in the US, every time I advertise it, that will block uh, ads being put on there so I can't monetize it and advertise it at the same time because mm. that is one of the definitions by some uh someone in our industry or a group of people in our industry one of the definitions is audience arbitration so I can advertise my mag or I can earn some revenue on it but I'm not going to get be able to fulfill the the two percent spend even the two percent spend that I just had to fork out my tax for, my black tax, um, I can't do it because I can't buy and advertise or, or take commercial revenue at the same time because that deems me an MFA. Mm. You know, even though there was real people writing each article, it's just, it's like you get through one hurdle, a keyword blacklist, you get through one hurdle. You know, even with, the, uh, I know me and you have spoken, you know, professionally on how to fix the pipes, because even the pipes don't quite work well mm. for diverse media. Do you know what I mean? Like PMPs mm. are hell to spend in with diverse media. Still nobody knows why. We, we do PG deals. They work quite well. We do them mm. in many countries, but... PMPs, we've never been able to crack. Even when we think we've got IS and everything sorted, for some reason, it just won't spend. It never spends the full budget. I'm sure you've, you've known that and other things as well. Yeah. So yeah, when, you know, I'm sorry for, for jumping on my soapbox, but <laughs> it's just, it's like MFAs is another thing that's been put in as a barrier that has a disproportionate effect on African-American, Black, Hispanic, LGBT, Indian, Pakistani, Muslim, Jewish publishers globally, you know? Yeah, just yeah, yeah. No, I actually didn't know that the that type of tax existed either, which is just crazy that, that you yeah, have that's... to go through that and other companies don't. I mean, it's kind of wild. Um, and so with, the, with these diverse media owners, um, 
oftentimes they don't have sales teams or they don't have representation to help them monetize. They're just sticking a Google AdSense tag and fingers crossed we get some ad revenue. Yeah. Um, how do they, um, I guess, working with you would be option one, like how to represent themselves best in the market and make sure they maximize yeah. the opportunity. But anything else beyond that? How do they make, how do they sort of go to market and make good money from what they have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, well, I've just touched on it. They do need to grow their audiences because, you know, if they try and monetize their smaller audiences, they'll never get enough to grow. So they need to mm. learn, you know, bring in somebody or um, work with a third party that can help you with not just SEO, but a little bit of audience arbitration. See, how do you tell people that you exist? Organic growth is nice, but it's going to take a long time, you know, because there's a lot of digital and uh, publications and platforms out there. There's too much choice, so you've got to cut through. Um, then, you know, you can get bigger chunks of budgets by uh, doing partnerships, creative partnerships, etc., with brands and with agencies. It's a slog to get in there, but, you know, a clever thing to do is to get in touch with an agency and say, I can turn up in a few weeks with a tray of donuts and a good 30-minute session. I'm not going to sell you my magazine, but I'm going to tell you about my people, whoever your people are. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you some stats about my people. I'm going to show you work, not necessarily done by me, but done by other people from my community. I might even bring some people from my community in. All you've got to do is sit there for 30 minutes, have, uh, have a lunch and learn. I'll throw in the donuts and listen to me. And if it's of interest to you or any of your brands later on, then come, you know, come back to me. That's, you know, and then you've got to have the time to do that. And a lot of mm. smaller publishers have actually got other jobs because they still need to put a roof over there to feed the kids, you know. But um, I would suggest, that would be a big one for me to suggest because they are always looking for content creators. You might only have 50,000 people visit your site every month, you know. So um, you've got a good base, you've got a good audience to start from. But actually, that 50,000 people, you can turn them into content creators. You can turn them into user-generated content. You yourself are a content creator and a herder of content creators, a gatherer of good people from your community. Use that. That's worth more. You know, you might only get a grand a month do it on your 50,000, maybe not even that. Um, but, you know, you might get 500 dollars a month on your programmatic direct you might get that up to 750 or a thousand but you can sell yourself and some of your, your your wider team on a project that's to make content for that brand doing advertorial doing video content even coming up with a whole storyboard you know like a, a, a company in the uk has done this really well called guap like they've smashed it they've got like events now that's like uh, I read it in the times or something that it's like being compared to the Met Gala because of how everyone turns up you know they've got a creative agency where they've won actual creative accounts but they just started two guys or maybe two guys and a girl um, starting a magazine you know reaching black creatives in London um, so you can build this brand you know I'm obviously going to advocate for working with us but also, we wouldn't if if all of our publishers are selling their own stuff as well, then everybody's going to switch on to buying it. So we'll still sell more because we're yeah. good at what we do. 
but you'll also grow. And then I get more infantry and I have more things I can sell that you do because you're getting yourself good on doing stuff direct. You can come and do some brand stuff with us for a client, you know, so it's a win-win. Yeah, it truly is win-win. Yeah, that makes total sense how to invest in the audience, things like events, things like mailing lists, like get them coming back, like you know, use them as content creators. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's so interesting. Um, conscious, conscious of time and this has been amazing, but I also sense some frustration in the industry of what's going on. And so as you think to next year, 2024 is just around the corner. Yeah. What do you think would be like a really positive change, either on the buy side or the sell side for diverse media? Oh, I've got this. Right. So it doesn't, it's not directly with the media, but you know, all these brands and agencies that have pledged 2%, 5%, 10%, excuse me, of their budget to um to, to media and creative um uh, that reaches underrepresented communities. I hope that in 2024, a lot of these brands, and Halion did it, that's why we're in the US, and a lot of these brands actually put that 2% out to pitch. Put it out to pitch. So that companies like Brand Advance and Group Black and H-Code and many, many others can come along and say, okay, we want to pitch for that 2%. We're not mm-hmm. as big as you, publicists, so you know we can't do the other 98%, but we can do that 2% really well. From what once you pitch and they win, they they have a partner, then that 2% budget doesn't go through the agency groups anymore, goes straight to a, a, a agency partner that's owned by someone from the community you know they they need to show that they they are a diverse uh you know that they have one of these in the uk it's called msd uk it costs about 150 quid to join maybe 300 quid to join it's the same thing as i talked about in the us but 300 quid you don't mind spending that's an admin yeah. fee someone did have to type your name in a computer <laughs> not too sure the 300 quid but you need to type your name in a computer but i get it do you know what i mean it feels yeah. more nominal so um, I would love, and that's what I'm going to advocate for, is for that these pledges to be pitched out so that companies can then come along. And that will, from day one, when the budget is controlled by someone, a company invested in that community or in all communities, then more of the spend's going to go there. They're only going to work with partners that don't block that spend. They're yeah. going to ensure they're going to have the expertise to make sure you're getting the results because we're going to want to pitch for it again the year after. Do you know what I mean? And I just think overnight it would change everything. All the publishers would get more money straight away because now it is a brand advanced black and gay owned agency that's looking after that budget and then we're going to make sure that that budget goes to the publishers whereas with the bigger agencies when two percent they're more bothered about the 98 percent and making yeah. sure that that goes right they don't care and, yeah. and, and and you know not rightly so but i get it why why would you why would you care it's so nominal it's so small a line item on the bottom you know and sort of if you're pledging two percent of your budget to to black people then let a black agency work it because you're sort of pledging 2% of your budget to black people through 20% being took off by that nice white owned company over there that's going to 
decide where that 2% is going to go. Do you know what I mean? It didn't make yeah. sense from the beginning. So I think, and actually, do you know what? I know what happened after a year, maybe two years, a lot of these 2% would become 10%, 20%, mm. 25%. Because they'd start to see the actual results when people just want to impress you, want to work on it. They know their people. They have the right teams that know how to make it work, to make keep the pipes flowing, all of that then I think, I think it would be game-changing for the industry. I think it would be game-changing for diverse publishers and media owners, TV, radio, out of home. It, it would just, and it would be game-changing for the uh, brands because they would start to see this growth that they've not really been able to tap into yet. Yeah, I love that. I love that. The opportunity behind uh, diverse media partnership directly between the partners and the brands it'd be yeah game changing to say i absolutely love that um thanks chris coming on the apple this has been brilliant thank you so much if people want to find out more about you or follow your work where can they find you uh linkedin i'm all right. like it's literally my phone is glued to my hand and linkedin <laughs> is glued to the screen um yeah so it's just i think it's just chris duck kind of link uh on the end of that LinkedIn URL, but yeah, you'll be able to find me on that. Type in Chris Kenner or Christopher Kenner brand events. Um, but thanks for having me on as well. You know, we, 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 we've we've been out for drinks together. Um, I was very chuffed when you asked me. You know, like <laughs> no, it's cool because I've listened to to your, to your podcast a few times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, enjoyed it. And sorry for getting on my soapbox. No, it's good. We need more. We, we need passionate people in the industry who care about doing things in the right way. So um yeah happy to have you on thanks again chris and i'm sure i'll see you soon certainly well thank you